Hey everyone, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This month, we get to celebrate Anosmia Awareness Day, which is tomorrow, February 27th. And with that in mind, I'm highlighting people who live with olfactory disorders and those who work to understand them. This week, listen in as Dr. Steve Munger from the University of Florida Center for Smell and Taste and I talk about anosmia, the University of Florida Health Smell Disorders Program, the Smell Taste 2019 conference coming up in May, and much more. Before we get started listening to the interview, here's a short biography of Dr. Munger and his work. Stephen Munger, PhD, oversees the education and research programs associated with the University of Florida Health Smell Disorders Program. As director of the UF Center for Smell and Taste, Dr. Munger is responsible for coordinating the center's programs for research, education, and public outreach concerning the chemical senses. Before joining UF in 2014, he was a member of the faculty of the University of Maryland School of Medicine for 14 years. Dr. Munger received a Bachelor of Arts in Biology from the University of Virginia, a PhD in Neuroscience from the University of Florida, and completed postdoctoral training with the Howard Hughes Medical Institute and Johns Hopkins University. His research program focuses on the molecular basis of chemosensation in olfactory, taste, and endocrine systems. He has been recognized by the President of the United States of America with a Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers and by the Association for Chemoreception Senses, or AChemS, with the Ajinomoto Award for Young Investigators in Gustation. He recently edited the book, Chemosensory Transduction, and is past president of AChems, the largest scientific society focused on the study of the chemical senses. Stay tuned for a special announcement at the end of this episode regarding Anosmia Awareness Day tomorrow. So let's listen to Dr. Munger's interview. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on to the Smell Podcast today. How are you doing? Hi, Katie. I'm uh, doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I am excited to speak with you today. We have a lot to chat about. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself to get started? Sure. Right now, my name is Stephen Munger. I'm uh, a professor at the University of Florida and the director of the Center for Smell and Taste and a professor in the Department of Pharmacology. And uh, I've been a researcher of smell and taste uh, for nearly 30 years. Started when I was an undergraduate and uh, kept on to this day. Did you have an interest in that area when you were an undergraduate or did you just happen into it by luck? It was completely by luck. Um, I was actually, I was interested in biology and in in neuroscience uh, specifically and was looking to do some research in a, in an undergraduate, as an undergraduate in a laboratory. And, you know, back then there was a piece of paper with a list of what all the professors worked on. And I had some interest in marine biology as well. And, and there's this one person who said, well, I'm working on on his things that he was working on uh, reflexes in, in mantis shrimp, which are really fast. And so it was, it was a sort of this classic neuroscience, neurobiological preparation. I said, oh, that sounds fun. So I went and talked to him and he said, well, we're not actually doing experiments on that right now. We're, we're, we're doing some studies on the sense of smell in crayfish. I said, oh. oh, okay. And from that, from that, I just became very fascinated about the way the sense of smell 
allows animals and people to to understand so much about the world and it's it's uh, still relatively understudied compared to a lot of the other senses and it sort of caught my caught my attention and caught my interest and sort of stayed with it ever since that's awesome that is interesting i never thought about whether fish could smell until just now <laughs> oh yeah yeah fish uh insects the way a mosquito finds you to to bite you is uh, is greatly driven by their sense of smell and um one of the ways for example uh, that insect repellents like DEET are are affecting the uh, a mosquito's ability to find you is by disrupting their sense of smell. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. I just, uh, that was the first yeah. time I've ever stopped to think about it, I guess. Yeah. So are you from Florida? How did you end up there? No, I grew up in Virginia, Charlottesville, and went to the University of Virginia as an undergraduate as well. And I was looking after that undergraduate experience, I was looking to do more research in this uh, in olfaction and pair that with neuroscience, the study of the brain. I had looked at a variety of different programs, and one at the University of Florida uh, at that point, where um, had a researcher named Barry Aki, who was still at UF, but he was using the lobster as a model to understand the basic mechanisms of how smell worked. And I came down to Florida did a, a PhD there, sort of the molecular mechanisms of how a lobster detects odors. I was actually out at a marine lab on a barrier island near St. Augustine, which was a really rough life. And <laughs> yes, I did that, but but lobsters are not the best uh, system to try to understand molecules and genetics. So I moved to Baltimore, where I learned to uh, uh, use mouse models to understand the molecular genetics of smell. And I've uh, continued to do research using those types of things. First as a professor at the University of Maryland in Baltimore for about 14 years. And then recently, just a few years ago, got recruited back down to UF to rejoin my my doctorate alma mater. So just been back in Gainesville for just since uh, 2015. That's great. Florida's very nice weather, so that's nice. <laughs> Not too bad. Not too. I miss, I miss the I miss the changing leaves in the fall and and spring that lasts more than a day. But yeah, no, it's 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 quite beautiful. That's awesome. So, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the University of Florida Center for Smell and Taste? Like, how was it formed, and what do you guys focus on? Sure. Uh, it's actually, I mentioned Barry Aki before. He was the founding director of, of the Center for Smell and Taste, which is actually in its 20th year, or in 21st year. We just had our 20th uh, uh, anniversary. It was founded in 1998. And the idea behind it was to try to bring together researchers and educators across the University of Florida that approach smell and taste in different ways to better promote interactions between them, new collaborations, uh, to facilitate training of students, and to really translate that kind of research into things that can be useful, whether it's from a health perspective, whether it's trying to drive breeding of more flavorful fruits, or as I said, insect control, creating electronic sensors. We have over 50 faculty that are associated with the center that are approaching smell and taste in those different types of ways. And and so in that in that time, the center has a, has a number of activities. We provide seed grants 
to the members to try to spur new research. We do uh, have a seminar series where we bring researchers from around the uh, around the world to come and tell us about the newest research in their in their areas of smell and taste, and uh, share that with us. We have training programs for students and have them in the laboratories to learn how to do smell and taste research. And we have uh, a lot of activities where we try to reach out to the community in different ways to educate the the world basically about why smell and taste is so critical for humans, uh, human health and social interactions for animals in a variety of contexts, and certainly uh, certainly in the context of uh, feeding and eating in all those types of animals. So, so we're doing that in, in a variety of ways, and it sort of fills our academic mission, being associated with the university. Research, teaching, and outreach are all very important parts of our mission. Yeah, it's just so fascinating to me that it is it has such a focus on smell specifically because, as you mentioned, it is understudied. So it's great that the center exists. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is available to people. We, yeah, it's it's been, I mean, the, the fact that there was a sort of a group of smell and taste researchers here uh, at that point 20 years ago and that that has been maintained was, was somewhat coincidental and but and was taking advantage of that to try to bring them together. And, and now we also try to uh, recruit uh, and facilitate recruitment of other researchers that are interested in smell and taste to the university to, to augment that. Yeah, you guys are well. You guys are becoming very well known for that. So hopefully, that's that's great. I hope it continues in the future. Just yeah. more and more scientists coming to coming to beautiful Florida to study the nose. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Tongue, tongue too. We'll we'll yeah. take them, but we'll take both sides. Yeah. So your role with uh, the center is as the director, and right. you kind of oversee all of those programs that you were just talking about. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah. So it's the yeah. So I get to do a lot of paperwork which is uh, part of it, but it's, no, really it's, it's to try to, I look at the center and I look at my role as, is trying to catalyze interactions between our groups and also to serve as sort of a hub for people that from these different types of disciplines that all have some interest in smell and taste to come together. So that's, yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of the, uh, yeah, the hub of the wheel in that respect but we are what we call a virtual center uh, in that we don't, not all of our researchers are in the same building. We're all, not only all over campus, but even at some of the, the uh, other UF sites around the state. For example, the Citrus Research and Education Center is down near Orlando in Lake Alfred. And there's a bunch of researchers that are studying citrus from a variety of different perspectives. But we have members that are there who are very interested in in citrus flavor and understanding the aromas and the tastes you know and how one might be able to uh, use citrus as a source of interesting flavor compounds for companies to use but also how to make them more flavorful and better tasting and more accepted by people for as healthy food alternatives so so that's our that's our role is to is to serve as that that anchor and 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 I do that from an administrative point in addition to having my own own research and and teaching components too yeah so you're also a professor that's great right right I learned about the center initially from just researching when I became an osmic back in like 2009 2010 
I learned a little bit about the Fifth Sense organization, so the UK-based mm -hmm. charity, and I know you know Duncan and work closely with him. And then I saw a little bit more about the center a few years later, just through Fifth Sense, and you guys had a conference together in 2017. So can you tell us a little bit about the Smell Taste conference that happened and the fact that it's actually going to be happening again this year? What's it about and how did it come about? It is. And it's, and this is something that sort of emerged from my first meeting Duncan Boak, uh, the founder of Fifth Sense, uh, probably about 2015. And uh, we just met through mutual colleague and sort of talked in, about uh, what fit, learned what Fifth Sense was trying to accomplish and talked about what the Center for Smell and Taste here at UF is trying to accomplish. And one thing that we obviously had in common was appreciation that there aren't a lot of good resources for the many millions of people that have smell and taste disorders. And, uh, and particularly, there's an absence of what I would say, um, expertly vetted information, because there's a lot of suspect information that's out there. And it's not true just for smell and taste disorders for any yeah, health issues. That's and, true. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Fifth Sense um, it really has a commitment to, to having some scientific rigor behind the things that they recommend and that they point people to, and so, we, certainly we do too. And we also, as part of, as I mentioned, part of our mission of education and outreach, feel it's important to try to provide services and support education to that large group of uh, that large community of people that that have smell and taste disorders and are not able to get that information easily through other through other means. And so we decided that one good way to do this would be to partner together and have a conference that was uh, similar to uh, what they had started in the UK, their Fifth Sense member conferences, um, but to have one in the US, which had not happened before to our knowledge, and to provide that kind of information, but also give uh, this patients an opportunity to interact with each other. And so we developed this meeting, we started to publicize it as best we could. And, and, and obviously, it was, it was, uh, uh, since it was the first of its kind, it was um, trying to let people know about it and what our goals were. And but we ended up having a, a probably about 75 uh, individuals come from all over the world, as far as away as Australia, to it for a weekend that we engaged with each other and and tried to share a lot of information and and allow people to to really interact with each other and share their own stories with each other and and try to come up with new strategies that could spur on better quality of life and and, and better interactions and advocacy uh, for, from those patients. And that's what we hope to build on for the new one uh, here at the Smell Taste 2019 uh, that will be happening May 15th through 17th, again, in Gainesville, Florida. So if listeners are interested in going to the conference, how can they find out more about it and get registered? So we have a dedicated website for it, and it's smelltaste.org. Uh, you can also uh, find that link through the Fifth Sense website or through the University of Florida's Center for Smell and Taste website, which is cst.ufl.edu. And from there, it will tell you 
information about the goals of the conference. We have our preliminary program is up there, and there's also a link to registration and to uh, we have a hotel room block with a discounted rate on hotel that's there too. So you can even make your hotel reservation by clicking through there. And the, great. yeah, so so we've we've changed. Um, you know, we had a number of people come last time, and we wanted to have with this new meeting something that would be new and of value to people who've already been here uh, before, but also enough uh, information for those who maybe hadn't um, had the opportunity to be a meeting like this to to uh, get some of the basic information as well. So last time in 2017, I would say the meeting had more lecture uh, where scientists and clinicians were talking with the audience about specific aspects of, of how does smell and taste work? How does it go wrong in, in different types of disorders? What are potential, what are the potential treatments that are there now? Where is the science going in the future? Um, how to sort of navigate the health system, if you, which I know is a huge challenge for a lot of folks when they're doing it. And then we had some other sort of interactive things. We have social uh, activities where people can um, interact, and, we, and we're still going to have that. For example, last time we had, on Friday night, we had a beer tasting at a local brewery. Oh, that with, sounds interesting. Yeah, it, it was fun. <laughs> it, but, it, I mean, it was, it was part of it was let's get everyone together and, and have an opportunity to start to meet each other and, and talk. But the, but the other thing was we set it up so that folks would try the different beers and then everyone would vote on what they wanted, which one they preferred. And that one was actually used for the, it was available at the banquet the next night. So the, the banquet dinner was, was we worked with a caterer and really sort of explained different flavor and texture types of profiles that might be interesting to design a menu that would not, that would do its best to try to highlight the senses that are still available to people who have uh, a smell to, uh, smell loss or, or uh, taste loss and to make the meal a more engaging and entertaining type thing. We had interactive desserts and, um, and lots of sort of different textures and spices and things within the meal. We wanted the entire experience to be engaging, but also to be empowering to show ways that that you can take charge of your own preferences, your own needs, even if you're lacking this very, you know, these very critical senses, mm -hmm. to still find enjoyment out of uh, something that maybe is not nearly as uh, the same as it was for you before you lost your sense of smell or such. Yeah. We're, trying, we're trying to keep those, we're, those types of activities, but we're also going to be increasing the number of interactive elements in the conference where the patients are going to be involved in really speaking with each other, coming up with ideas, thinking about how they can better help the scientists and the clinicians advocate for new ways to make to improve this condition, whether it's to develop treatments or to develop accommodations or, or to uh, increase education. Yeah, both you and I were able to attend the uh, Identifying Treatments for Taste and Smell mm -hmm. Disorders Conference in Philadelphia, and I thought that was the first conference that I was able to attend, which was focused on smell and taste. So I'm 
I'm really hoping that I'll be able to attend in May um, in Gainesville. That's the plan. Yeah, um, that's great. I, sh I should point out, so that that conference was was interesting in that it was co-organized by the Monell Center, by the UF Centers for Smell and Taste, and the Rocky Mountain Taste and Smell Center in Colorado. Yeah. That that one was very, had, had certainly had some patient engagement components to it, but it also had a much larger component that was talking about the science between yeah. scientists and which is which is important too. the goal is to try to to think about the areas where we can accelerate research in order to reach um, a new therapies more quickly and there's going to be uh, the three the three groups are working together to develop a white paper that will be presented to the national institutes of health and will be published as well to try to identify those areas and spur on the community in a coordinated way. Um, so that's so that's very valuable. For the smell taste meeting, certainly scientists and clinicians are welcome to attend, but all of the all of the program is focused towards the patient. Oh, that's awesome. This so it's so it's they're they're both valuable, but it is a little bit different in there. Yeah. Yeah. If any if any scientists are listening, I would definitely invite you to attend because I just found that I think it was just invaluable to be able to speak amongst ourselves uh, between patients and and then the scientists for the for them to hear us and for us to hear them. I think it was just amazing. So that's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Center for Smell and Taste you have this outreach for patients who have olfactory disorders and you're going to have this smell taste 2019 conference again in just the day-to-day -day running of the of the center do you treat patients who have olfactory disorders yeah so so here if you'll indulge me with a little university bureaucracy so so one thing that happened with the smell taste 2017 and you and i think you phrased it very well of how exposing scientists and clinicians to the perspectives and the needs of these patients in a in a large group like that uh, really helped to spur on efforts that we had already started at at UF to develop a a clinic and a smell uh, and a program to focus on smell disorders. And uh, and one of the things that was surprisingly happened was one of the attendees at the meeting. Who I won't name because he, he's he's uh, uh, a modest guy, but he had expertise in in the business of health systems. So he understood how things get billed and how money flows. And this is one of the big challenges for actually for getting smell and taste disorders tested and treated because insurance companies there are no. I mean, to get into the nitty gritty, there are no insurance codes for an olfactory test. Right. So that means there's no way for a doctor to get reimbursed for giving it. In, so in what's the incentive? It, well, it's it's center, but it's also you know if they can't keep the doors open, they can't they can't serve patients at all. So so one thing this individual helped us do, and working with the Department of Otolaryngology or the ENTs, ear, nose, and throat folks at UF, is we came up with a strategy that can't say it's making any money. Uh, but it but it certainly makes it feasible for us to have a an actual clinical program that involves olfactory testing and then ENT 
uh, examinations with Dr. Jeb Justice is the lead there, and he participated in Smell Taste 2017 and is, is quite knowledgeable about these types of disorders. And so it allowed us to do it. We could convince the university that, okay, this is this is not going to, you know, this is going to be something that is not only valuable for a huge number of patients, but is going to be feasible to do. And right. so we did, so we did that, we got it. And then now we have a r regular clinic that sees patients uh, that come from, you know, a lot of them are from the Florida or Southeast area, obviously, but can see them from wherever. And we put that into something we call the UF Health Smell Disorders Program. And that is trying to bring together not only the diagnosis, the support, and in some cases where, where we have options to do so, the treatment of smell disorders, but to coordinate that with education and uh, research, clinical patient research. And so where we hope to be launching very soon some clinical studies focused on on um, hyposmia and anosmia specifically. Oh, perfect. So if people are interested in either going there for your clinic, kind of to just interact or be, I guess be tested, mm -hmm. how would they go about finding out information on how to do that? So they can go directly to uh, the website, which is smellclinic.cst.ufl.edu. So that, that is for the UF Health Smell Disorders Program, and that has some resources, has links to a variety of, of organizations and even some of the Facebook groups and other things for patients. But it also has a phone number where one can make an appointment. Uh, the, the clinic does take insurance, takes most insurance because of the way we're able to, to structure it, which is great. And, and I think... I recall it was you and I had a discussion at, in Philadelphia uh, briefly about this. Uh, something that we want to make very clear to patients, and when I think a lot of folks are, should be knowledgeable about this, is that while in some cases, depending on the cause, is smell disorders can be treated and treated effectively. So for those with nasal polyps, with chronic rhinosinusitis, uh, like allergies or some other structural types of issues, but for a lot of others, at the moment, there are not clear treatment options. And so we don't want to mislead anybody. And I would caution anybody listening that any clinic or doctor that tells you before you, they even see you that they can treat you for sure is probably not being truthful right. uh, or certainly not being knowledgeable. And so we want, we want folks to know that you know, they're not guaranteed that there can be a through treatment, but what there can be is a diagnosis and a validation that this is a real and important health issue and uh, emotional issue for a lot of folks, yeah. and that and that we do try to provide information that can help improve quality of life and give uh, some more connections. That's amazing. Just knowing that, just being validated for a lot of patients that something is is wrong, something is the matter. Uh, I think is is really cool. Ab absolutely, it's it's remarkable how many people you meet that have the uh, same story. Oh yeah, my parents always thought I was just faking it, or or you know no one you know, no one believes me, no one thinks it's important, and you know just brush it off. And yeah, it's it's it it is important. It is for those with acquired changes, it can be very life changing for those 
who are born uh, without a sense of smell, it it still can really impact their lives in a variety of important ways. And so it's 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 important to to appreciate that and to to work with that within the health system. Yeah. So you mentioned that the clinic is planning to do some trials with patients who have olfactory disorders like anosmia and mm -hmm. what was the other one you mentioned? Hyposmia. So Hyposmia. Okay. Yeah, dim diminished, uh, diminished smell. So we should just keep our eyes out for that in the future to see so you can recruit us, all the listeners, if uh, you guys need patients Ab to come in and do your trials. Absolutely. When, when those start, we will sort of reach out in a variety of ways. So we'll post on that, that same website, smellclinic.cst.ufl.edu, uh, about any uh, potential uh, trials or, or studies that people could, could participate in, and, and they can just reach out from there to see if it's a right, if they're a right fit for it. And uh, we'll also publicize it on social media. Uh, we have a Twitter feed, which is at UFCST. We also have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash UFCST. And we try to put those up and those types of announcements up in there and people are well, welcome to share. But yeah, but we're, we're certainly, and if people just have questions, they're also well, absolutely welcome to reach out to us and ask, obviously they can't make a diagnosis or specific health recommendations over email, over, over the phone, but we can try to to steer you in the right direction. Great. So as a scientist, I like to, I'm not a scientist, but you being a scientist, I like mm -hmm. to ask this question of scientists. What is your dream research project? If you had unlimited funding and unlimited resources, people to help you, what would you like to tackle? Oh, well, clearly it'd be go travel to the moon and do something up there. But, um, <laughs> but within, but within uh, <laughs> yeah, within s smell and taste, I, I guess the one thing that, with my my research, sort of one overall theme throughout has always been how do different portions of smell and taste systems. So there are different cells that maybe respond to specific types of chemicals. You can think about it in the taste system or those that respond to sweet tasting chemicals or bitter tasting chemicals. How is that information put together to give us a full picture of our chemical world. How do you, I mean, one way you can think about this is in the context of food. How do you, when you're eating a, a pepperoni pizza, know that that is, that mixture of chemicals that is coming to taste and smells is pepperoni pizza versus a hamburger? And obviously there are textures and you can see it and things, but if it, but, but those flavors that you, that you're perceiving are coming from a mixture of different odors and tastes and your brain has to put that all together in a way that you can recognize it you can recognize it in the context of your experience and then you can make a choice oh i love pepperoni pizza i'm going to eat it oh uh, you know i really don't like it i don't want to animals do these types of computations basically all the time uh, whether it's for food or whether it's Oh, there's a predator out there, or there's a potential mate, or, or this is you know just a, a nice hill to sit on and and enjoy the the blooms of the spring flowers. All those types of things, the brain has to take a bunch of little information, detect it, and put and pull it back together 
uh, to create an overall picture of the smell and taste world. And that's, right. that's where I'd like to. No, that's okay. It's <laughs> like what mixture of chemicals makes us know that it's pepperoni pizza. Exactly. Yeah. Or it's, it's something else. Absolutely. It's remarkable what some of the food companies are now doing that they can go in and capture by basically putting a dome over a plate of food maybe at a at a stall in a, a market in Hong Kong and they suck up all the odors and they take it back to the lab and they identify every single component, not only what it is, but how much of each one. And then they recreate in a lab and a smell that is so exactly like what they really smelled there. And, the, and it's it's so we're we're understanding the input, what the chemicals are much better than we used to, but we still don't know how the brain does that. And yeah, translates it. Exactly. That's so fascinating. <laughs> My dream research project for all the scientists is to figure out how to, I guess, fix the nose for people who have anosmia, which would be amazing. But I know you guys are already working on that in so many different ways. There you are. We, we have researchers specifically at UF. I think you uh, may have met Jeff Martins at the Philadelphia meeting who's using gene therapy and stem mm-hmm. cell therapy approaches to, to try to get there and has been able to actually rescue congenital anosmias in mice in a, in a preclinical model and is hoping to take that into uh, human trials eventually. It takes years to develop all the safety yeah. protocols and everything. That's the way to go. Yeah, my, it, that's it's actually one thing that I found particularly satisfying with being able to work with Fifth Sense and with the smell taste meeting and our smell disorders program. My research has never, my own personal research has not focused on anosmia or, or hyposmia or dysgeusia or such. It is, it is very much focused on how does it normally work, uh-huh. which is of course important to know how it may go wrong in certain conditions and then how you might rescue it. But being able to have this connection with patients has really been a very rewarding and fascinating new experience for me uh, since I was sort of much more in the down in the weeds and the in the molecules and the genes that are right. that are at play in smell and taste. Yeah, I just was able to speak with um, postdoc uh, Dr. Federica Genovese with Monell, and she had a very similar opinion about. It's just really cool as a scientist to be able to speak with patient because you can work on a single cell for like your whole career and forget exactly. forget what you're focusing on. So yeah, I think it's amazing just to be able to speak to all of you as well. Just it, it's very exciting. It feels hopeful for the future. I, I think it's there's there's momentum now, and I think the one thing that is could really push it over the top that you see occurs uh, is is present for other sensory disorders and for other disease areas is having patient advocacy and i mean and this is not you know but to put all on patients is you know it's you know it's your responsibility but it's a huge help to see him as something the fifth sense is trying to do in the UK um, that is really absent in the U- in the US. If you know mm-hmm. someone's, if I go in front of Congress and talk about how important smell and taste is and why you need more money for research, yeah, okay, they might hear that, but it doesn't have nearly the impact of someone who 
can relate the experience of having that loss and how important it is to their well-being. And with numbers comes power. And there's so many, so many millions of people that are affected by these uh, these types of disorders that hopefully that will be something that can spur, can move along and, and hopefully the smell taste meetings will contribute to that. Yeah, I think uh, we're moving movement. in that direction. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? I think one thing that's found is very important for a lot of patients is the ability to take some some ownership is probably the wrong word, but to to participate in their own potential treatment or education or such. And it'd be great for those who could come to the smell taste meeting, um, but we recognize that that's a, you know, that's a, a time and a financial commitment that can be hard for a lot of people. But reaching out to others that may share your same condition, sharing information is is a wonderful thing. And for a lot of people, that becomes cathartic and, and part of the journey to making life easier to deal with with with, uh, with a smell or taste disorder. And I think this smell podcast is a great example of that, of using this type of platform to educate people more broadly and to, to bring people together in these types of discussions. And to, so to the extent that, that people can, I think that's a that's a great thing to do, and whether you know, find someone you know, maybe find people locally and have a you know go out for um, a walk in the park once yeah, a month, definitely. or 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 <laughs> listen to a podcast, or come to a meeting, or or participate in some of these online uh, peer support groups. Yeah, those the, are very those useful. Are, these are all these are all things, and and they matter. And they matter, they can matter for the individual, but they matter also for the community and for helping push forward research and clinical efforts for every doctor who didn't, I must say, doctors do not, they're often ignorance about these disorders. Right. You can blame, you can blame them a little bit, but I've taught them in medical schools, they get almost no information about this. They're never exposed to it to any great extent. So every time that they can be a little more educated, that's, that helps as well. So, yeah. So participate to the extent that you feel comfortable and the extent that you, you want to, and in the way that you want to, it's a great thing. Yeah. I've, uh, the ITTSD conference was the first time I met another person in person who had an osmia. I've met people online, but just being able to talk to somebody else who's like me was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I've heard that so many times, and of course, you probably have met people with anosmia before. But we don't talk about not, it. <laughs> you don't talk unless it's unless someone tells you. You wouldn't know. You don't. There isn't. You don't have a service dog. You don't have maybe. A, a, you know, you aren't using sign language. There's do, no visible there's no, cues. There's, there's no visible cue, and so so having these types of things where I mean, our estimates. Probably the most reasonable estimate is about 10 to 15 percent of the population has a significant deficit in their sense of smell, whether that's that's anosmia or hyposmia. If you get to the elderly, you're now talking 20, 25 percent. But certainly, I think if you want to be conservative, let's say 10 percent, that's millions and millions of people that are having their lives disrupted by by these types of uh, disorders. And so 
you're not alone. You're not unusual. It's actually way too common. And unfortunately, the recognition of the scientific and, and medical communities has not been there in the past to recognize the size of this of this issue. I think that's changing, but it's but it needs to keep getting pushed. Yeah, definitely. We'll get there. It's exciting. I think it's just an exciting time in general right now for smell and taste. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Can you just reiterate again, how can listeners get in touch with you guys on social media? Okay, so so we have a Twitter feed, which is at UFCST, and that uh, puts out information about, but certainly about the smell taste meeting, other types of uh, scientific activities and clinical activities. We have a Facebook page that's facebook.com slash UFCST. It's the University of Florida Center for Smell and Taste. Uh, we also have two websites. So for the center itself, and this is really more focused on the research and education components, that is cst.ufl.edu. For the UF Health Smell Disorders Program, which includes the clinic, and that's where we'll also post information about uh, clinical studies, that is smellclinic.cst.ufl.edu. And and then for the smell taste meeting, which is a collaboration between the UF Center for Smell and Taste and the charity Fifth Sense, that is at smelltaste.org. And you can get registration information. Uh, you can contact. There's an email link there to if you have questions. Um, you can book a book the hotel at the room block and sort of learn about what the uh, the program is going to be, but certainly don't hesitate to to reach out if you have questions. Perfect. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you all for listening. You can find links to the sites that Dr. Munger mentioned in the episode description. Make sure to go and check out the University of Florida Center for Smell and Taste social media sites as well. Remember, you can find additional information about the Smell Taste 2019 conference and register now at smelltaste.org. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. What topics would you like to see covered in the future? If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, please reach out to me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at thesmellpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast if you use Apple or iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the show. And finally, if you would like to financially support the show, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description, and I appreciate your support. So here's that special announcement I mentioned at the very beginning. Tomorrow is Anosmia Awareness Day, and if you're unfamiliar with this day, you can find the Anosmia Awareness Day Facebook page online. I'll make sure that I include a link to the site in the episode description. Tomorrow, a special episode is coming out with an announcement for Anosmia Awareness. Please make sure that you listen in. And until next time, have a great day. Mm-hmm.